Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. What happens when you can become a second generation CEO and you're also autistic? Well, we'll find out on this episode. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. I want to believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I want to believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. Shape shifting, same player, different position, the definition. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with my co-host, Michelle, and I'm joined with Heather. Heather, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Reed. So, as I always like to ask every guest, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, so, my name is Heather Florio. I am the CEO of Desert Harvest, um, which is a wellness company focused on um, pelvic and sexual health. And we've been doing that now for 30 years. Um, and we are based in the state of Maine. All right. So, you were diagnosed at the age 41. When you got diagnosed, did you look back at your life and think maybe this explains why you had these other issues? <laughs> yes, it was kind of an enlightenment. Um, you know, for for years, I've just been trying to understand like myself and and trying to make up for what you know, those that were supposed to necessarily care for me the most um, that told me that there were things that were wrong with me or that I was bad or I was, you know, evil or I was whatever. It was that, you know, so I was always trying to work on myself, make a better version of myself, that one that fit in, that that people liked, that people wanted to be around. Um I, I, so I've been working on that since I was young. Um, and so being diagnosed and now looking back, it's like an enlightenment. It's like, oh my gosh, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just who I am. It's a part of who I am. And it, 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 you know, and I think even for my family, they all started my husband, my sons, even my employees all like read up on autism and uh, <laughs> where it was like, Oh my gosh, this is you. <laughs> I, um, you had you had social issues with social cues. How did you overcome that? Because with me, I still struggle with reading people's social cues, not knowing what to react to their emotions. I mean, I can't read a person's face and know what they're feeling. I actually, interestingly, tried to start reading books to... I, that was the one thing that helped me. So when I was going transitioning from middle school, which was hell, um, into high school where you can kind of blend in a little bit more when you're in a big high school, um, I I knew that that I wanted to. Why could I not pick up on what people were saying and thinking? And and so for me, I figured if I started learning like facial expressions, reading, you know, I love to read when I want to learn something, you know, that I go down the rabbit hole. I, I you know, I wanted to learn about environmental law once and I spent weeks just reading environmental law books just because I wanted to have the knowledge of it. And so very similarly, when I wanted to have this knowledge I I started to to read books and I still use that figuratively today because it's always a challenge. I don't think it you know it's it's something that'll probably never go away for me. I don't like pick up on when someone's sad or someone's upset and mm -hmm. and and if I'm not cognitively trying to think about it like I'm in a social situation or I'm talking to you right now um, you know, I'm, I'm actively engaging my mind, trying to think this through what, am, what's the next step? What am I going to say? What are you? And whereas when I'm not cognitively thinking about it, and let's say I'm working, I'm reading a book and one of my employees or something walks in and, um, I may not pick up that they've just walked in to tell me that, you know, something bad just happened. One of their parents just passed or, or something. And, and, 
I, because I'm not cognitively trying to, I don't, I miss those cues <laughs> a lot and, mm-hmm. and in, in, and probably always will. So it's not a perfect science, but it helps me by reading those books and, and understanding just like facial expressions and cues and things like that. It's helped me to navigate when I am in social situations and I'm being very cognitively aware of how I interact and how other people are feeling or thinking around me. Yeah. I mean, I think part of our problem with reading social cues has to be the fact that we avoid eye contact. So we don't look Mm -hmm. at the person's face. So we don't see what they're feeling on their face. We don't see their emotion. So that's part of our problem, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something where I, very cognitively have to think and I have to, I have to be looking, I have to, I have to force myself to engage, I have to force myself. It's, it's been training that I've been doing since I was 13. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know I had autism. So you were bullied in high school. How did you overcome all of that and deal with it today even? It's still hard for me. Um, you know, it was middle school was my worst. Um, middle school was hell. Um, is anybody, especially with, I don't, I don't know gender wise, but for, for girls, girls were vicious <laughs> and, and, yeah. uh, in middle school. Yeah. You probably know Michelle. I think every girl can, can relate in some way, but for me having autism, it was, it was a situation in which I, I didn't know why I I didn't understand why everybody was being so mean to me and and why I felt so, so socially isolated for me it was a hard situation because I didn't have the support at home I didn't have the support at school um so I was very isolated in my childhood um almost my entire childhood um you know when I got to high school um I started and I've done this, I realized, um, and, and the therapist that helped diagnose me with autism taught me this, is that I attach myself to people that are the opposite of me or what I want to be, um, what I think is socially, you know, these, these gregarious social personalities that go into a room and everybody loves them and everybody engages with them. And so when I got into high school, I started doing that as part of like, I, I, I met a girl like in between my, my freshman and at, at some event that my parents dragged me to, turns out she had just moved here. We were going to the same school and she had that personality that everybody loved. And so I could be the invisible piece back here and, and not say too much and, and, and be a little bit more socially accepted um in a sense by attaching myself to people that 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 could be what I couldn't be I think that's very relatable for my experience as well so it's good to hear it from someone else yeah yeah that I mean it's just a, a feeling especially when you're young and you're trying to figure yourself out um I mean that's the the hardest time for any teenager but then to have autism in it and and not even know at that point mm-hmm. that I had that, um, you know, it, it makes sense now, but back then it, it, it was, it was hard. And, and even now as an adult, I, I struggle with when I'm in social situations per se, I, I, I will still do that same thing. I might gravitate myself, gravitate myself towards a person that is that person that I can't be so that they can be in those, those situations, especially when I'm in large groups. Interestingly enough, I can get up and I can speak into a full crowd of people because I can, I have the ability to compartmentalize. And I don't know if you, you, you to have that ability, but what it allows me to do is to pretend that I'm in a room of nobody, but I'm talking about a subject that I love. And so I can 
talk forever. I can, especially when it's something that I'm, I'm know a lot about, but I can't, you know, but then when I get off that stage and everybody is congratulating me and wants to like, yeah, you know, come up and pat you on the back. I'm all like, where's the bathroom? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that part of the reason you tend to gravitate towards one person in larger groups is because it's easier for you to do that one-on-one communication versus communicating with everyone in the larger group? Yes, it's almost like they can, that one person that I might gravitate towards or or spend my time with, they can be that that voice for me, be what I mm-hmm. cannot be. And so it it gives me a sense, I think, of comfort of of that in a social social situation by being um um around a person like that. I think most of us uh, are like that when it comes to like talking in front of a big group, because when it comes to talking about something we're passionate about, like one of our hyperfixations, it's like all of a sudden we just narrow that focus down to what we love and just look at a group of people as like, like you said, a bunch of nothings. And we just talk about what we love and we don't care who they are. It's our passion that we're talking about and we can just go on for it forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could definitely talk forever and ever. I, I, I always equate that my husband, uh, he, he has always called me ever since the TV show called out, he calls me Sheldon Cooper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so like behind the scenes, like it's, it's, it's kind of our joke and, and my kids will be like, okay, Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> Besides your being bullied and your trouble with social cues, what other challenges did you face? Um, just interactions in general. I mean, even now as as a CEO, um, I I don't. I, I think the hardest thing is is and back to I think what we mentioned before is that picking up on human emotion because. I, as a CEO, um, it's really hard. I have, I have a staff of, of 30 employees and, and they rely on me. They, they, um, count on me. Um, and, and whether it's, you know, personal, professional, um, you know, otherwise a lot of the times they'll come to me with various things. And I think that that is, is the hardest thing is, is just connecting, connecting with people. Um, I met my husband very young. Um, I was 19, um, when we got together and 20, when we got married. Um, um, I think that he has really helped me navigate this world. Um, I don't think that I would be as successful as I am or, or where I am in life today, if it wasn't for him, because he's helped me navigate situations. He's helped me, um, you know, when I am overwhelmed, um, um, you know, I now know it's in, it's, it's emotions overwhelming me. I didn't really pick up on my own emotions um before but you know i would have these moments where i'd like i have to leave the situation i have to leave i have to go i have to like i have to get away from humanity mm-hmm. and and you know very early on in a young marriage um <laughs> that's difficult for him um he has been a trooper in in you know when i have those shutdown times or i i need to be alone um um you know, when we were younger, it was, it was difficult in a relationship. And I think that, that now, um, he respects that and he, he always has been very respectful of me, but I mean, even more now that I think that I have a diagnosis, um, it just, it fell into place for him as well, um, to understand why I do that because he's very much of the thing she wants to be alone. She doesn't want to be around me. What did I do? Like, you know, the, the typical human kind of banter that, that I, I just, I will literally just walk up and leave the situations or sometimes <laughs> I'll get in my car and 
and drive away. And he's like, where'd she go? And, and I just, you know, I have those moments of, of overwhelming emotions um, that are hard. I can so is of, your, sorry, Reed. Not a problem, Michelle. You'll go right after me. I can kind of relate to that. I have, my sister-in-law's got a big family and we get together for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I'll just disappear, go downstairs into the basement where it's quieter. My parents, my mom and dad, when, when my father was still living, would be like, where did you disappear to? Why did you go downstairs? I'm like, I needed quiet time. It was just, too much talking, too much things, too much noise. I needed that quiet time for myself to regenerate and to where I can come back upstairs and deal with what's going on. So I can relate. Yeah. Yeah. So is your partner neurotypical? Yes. Yes, he is. He is. So what's it like sort of navigating a relationship with a neurotypical partner? Do you feel like there's advantages, disadvantages? I think that um, it could probably go both ways. Um, for me, it's it's been an advantage um, because I have someone that can see the world the way I can't see. So it's kind of a balance of opposites, a yin and yang in a sense, because he can be what I can't be. Um, and he's okay with who I am and and helping me navigate the world even though we didn't know i had autism we knew that that you know i i wasn't like everybody else and he he sometimes called it my crazy where i'd be like i'm going to go walk in the rain or i'm going to you know and 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 i just have these moments where i'll just be like i'm going to go dancing and or you know he's he's dealt with my spontaneity and frivolity uh i think uh, very, very well. Um, and so I think it's definitely the partner. I, I was hugely lucky. I, I, I can't say it enough to, to find him at the age that I did and, and to, to have that support system, um, my entire adult life, um, is, has, has been formative. And, and I would say that, that having a balance and having someone who is neurotypical, um, was nice because it helped me navigate. I think that if we had, you know, both been, you know, neurodiverse, that it would have been a little bit more difficult because I wouldn't have had as much of that support system in navigating the world that I did because we would both be, you know, trying to support each other or, or maybe <laughs> both hiding out in our house. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that we should, everybody who's autistic should have a counterpart that's neurotypical because it was it's the, like you said, it's the yin to the yang. It's that one person who can help us guide the, navigate the world and guide us through all the challenges that the normal world throws at us. Yeah. 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 It, it gives a different lens that we might not necessarily see. And I, I think it's wonderful. When you were in college, what issues did you have to face? Oh, gosh. Um, one of the hardest things for me in school, um, I didn't do very well in school. <laughs> I didn't do very well. Um, I did better in college once I found out that I could do distance learning. It was the greatest thing ever invented mm -hmm. um, because I didn't have to go sit in a classroom, which was the hardest thing for me because one, most of the time, I also have an eidetic memory. Um, so for me, like I would read the textbooks and I'd be like, okay, this class is done for me. Um, <laughs> and and they would be like, well, we need you to do this assignment or we need you to do this. And I'd be like, if I didn't see the point of it um, at that point, I just wouldn't do it. Um, so I, I would, I, I graduated and everything because I could remember everything and I would come in, take the tests, ace them, leave. And, and, and so, but I did much better in college. I tried the first year I tried standard. I, I went to California and I went to Long Beach state and, and, and I, 
that was not a world I could live in. And I realized that very, very quickly. Um, and it didn't last. And I came back and then I was like, and then uh, I lived in Colorado at the time in the University of Denver. I was all like, oh, I could do this all online. I'm all like, sign me up. And I don't have to leave the comforts of my home and deal with people. And and so then I had like straight A's um, because I it, it was a structured set of stuff. It said, here, you do this. We're just going to give you work at your pace, do it. And, and, and that was it. And it was like the best way of learning for me um, just because it was how I already learned. I read the books and, and, and then it was like, it, you know, it was a structured list that said this, 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 and this. And I was like, oh, I'll do this, 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 and this, and we'll be done. Yeah. I remember going to one of my advisors when I was in college for my master's and I think, and I went to her and I'm like, I don't get how people who have, I did, I um, have like really good memory can walk in and fail and pass all their exams. And then there's me who sits there and struggles. And she's like, let me tell you something. Those who know the material just know it, but those who know it and understand it are those who can look at you and explain the whole process. And that kind of made sense to me because one day I was walking down this little path and I was going over to the material in my head and I totally understood what I was talking about. That's and awesome. I running... feeling a connection. Yeah, I felt that connection. And I was like, oh my God. I understand this now because I'm able to explain it to myself. Yeah. And I, I think that's what it is when it something, I, I think many times, and even for me, I sounds very similar. I overcomplicate things yeah. and, and, and once I can see a clear path to the structure, um, you know, even interestingly enough to give an example, I was, I was, um, with Deepak Chopra, the guru, um, mm. the, the end of September, beginning of October, um, this year. And, you know, he was talking and I was listening, you know, he, he was talking about time and how it was a human construct and, and that he didn't let time define his life. And I was like, and, and I was like, how can you just simplify that? I was like, you know, I, that was the one question I asked the entire time I was with him because I that just blew my mind. I was like, how can you simplify time into such a simple construct? He's like, I wake up in the morning. He's like, I'm not checking my cell phone. I'm not constantly worried about time and where I need to be and when and how. He's all like, I wake up, I meditate. He's all like, then I figure out where I need to go and I go there and I do it and I do. And he's like, when you make a commitment of time to someone else, you are creating a commitment between you and that other person. And it would be wrong to not honor that commitment, but otherwise time does not define his life. And I was like, it was so simple. And, and I think that that's a good analogy for like how we can overcomplicate something that anything time we we complicate time all the time we're constantly stressed about time in in our society and and in life and i think that that by simplifying it and finding and i think for maybe it's for neurodiverse i'm not, i'm not sure that that we have to necessarily like find that path to simplifying it whereas we initially overcomplicate it and once you get that simplification in your mind and you find the structure of it it's like light bulbs mm -hmm. you got any questions michelle no uh, not after that one no <laughs> i understood you work you've worked in the entertainment industry what was that like Oh gosh. So I did that for 15 years. Um, one of the things for music is I, I realize this now, um, I would have to put in headphones, um, and listen to music so that I could write so that I could read so that I could focus my mind. Um, and, and I realize now that music is how I actually feel emotions. Um, and it's it it actually connects me to emotions. 
Um, and so I think that that's what gravitated me towards that industry initially. Um, I grew up with a very entrepreneurial mother. Um, so one thing she did bestow on me is work, 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 work. Mm. Um, and so I, I started doing events when I was in, in high school because I could plan them, I could structure them. And then that led to me doing events in the music industry and, and doing front of house operations for music venues and private events for musicians. Um, and, and I loved it. Um, it was great because, yeah, there was a big crowd of people, but I didn't have to be in it. <laughs> and I had to make sure everybody, you know, was doing their jobs and getting things to the place. And I had to make sure that everything flowed. But I always, whatever venue or whatever place it was, I always had a secret spot away from people where I could just sit and listen to the music. And and it was a beautiful thing. Um, I I don't miss the hours <laughs> because I was never home. Um, and and I, you know, with young kids, you know, I was I was working till, you know, 3 a.m., 1 a.m., 3 a.m., going home, sleeping, getting the kids to school, maybe, or my husband, and then and then getting a little bit more sleep, going back to the venue by like 10 a.m. and and doing it all over again. And, and it is a very demanding job, a very demanding industry. Um, um, but most of the time when you're working, you're in a theater, a theater itself only has like maybe four or five full-time, you know, whatever full-time employees, maybe 10 at most. So when you're in a theater, you feel very, um, like you could wander around and and you don't have to have a lot of human interaction. So it was kind of nice. <laughs> All right. What was it like taking over your parents' company with knowing that you also have autism? I mean, that had to be hard because now you have to figure out how to become the CEO and how to deal with your ASD as well. Yeah, so I was diagnosed after I took over the role. So um, I I had always been involved in Desert Harvest, kind of helping, um, just because that's what I do. I'm an organizer, an organizer of people, an organizer of things. I did a lot of organizing for Desert Harvest of the structure and things since 1993 when we started, but. Um, in the last recession that we had, um, you know, music venues were shutting their doors, laying off staff. It, 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 there wasn't a lot of work for me. And, and at that time, my parents were in their sixties and they said, we're ready to retire. So you don't have, you're not doing anything. Come back. It's either that, or, you know, we're going to sell it. And, and so I talked it over with my husband and agreed to, um, come in and start taking over the helm of the company. The time I didn't know I had autism, um, but I was very concerned <laughs> um, per se of, of managing employees um, in that sense. Like I could manage employees in music venues because I dealt with them for one night you know, they would be ushers, different things like that. Mm -hmm. They would always be rotating. They were volunteers. Um, and, and so it was a different kind of structure where we'd have to have one-on-one -on -one interaction on a regular basis. Um, and, and hiring and firing and like having to do all of the necessary HR stuff. Um, I suck at it. <laughs> I, I will. I will just say that. Like, um, you know, I, I luckily have an amazingly supportive staff um, that that can handle that part of it. Um, but when I I do have to be involved, um, it is one of my biggest weaknesses, um, and it's one of my biggest challenges. I'm still working to overcome. Um, and it just because of that human interaction piece, um, same thing last year, um, I, I was traveling like crazy and I was at all these events and I was on red carpets and doing stuff. And it felt like everybody wanted a piece of me and I was being pulled in a million different directions. Um, and that 
took a lot from me. Um, I had to really spend this year kind of dialing some of that back and, and understanding my, what I can give and what I can't give. Um, um, because when everybody's trying to take a piece of you and you're autistic and you just want to run in the corner and hide, um, or to the other room, uh, it's, it's, it, it became mentally exhausting um, and mentally challenging to maintain, you know, that kind of equilibrium with myself um, and, and, and the, those social situations, every one of them is exhausting. You know, I, I, I can watch people thrive and I, I it's jealousy for me because I'm like, I go home and I'm like, Oh, good night. Like this is, Oh, when do I have to do this again? And, and when I have to do it night after night after night, like a lot of the times last year, um, it, it took its toll mentally on me. And, and I really had to spend this year really refocusing. I, I learned really well, actually from Deepak Chopra, how to meditate (laughs) and, that has been a godsend for me, actually, um, because one of the hardest things to do is quiet my mind. Mm-hmm. And I've tried meditation on myself. You know, I've tried the, you know, the apps and the programs and 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 the online tutorials and the the YouTube videos. And I just my mind doesn't stop. It's and and so how do i how how do i make that work and i think that learning actually how to meditate properly mm-hmm. and and has made a world of difference for me i can't do it all the time but actually what i found you, you know we we talked about airplanes before we came on here um so airplanes for me you know I, that's why i go to the windows why i'm you know over here for me but um, I've started meditating on the planes and, uh, and from what I learned and everything around me disappears, all the people, all the constant asking for stuff. And I will always meditate on a plane now. Like it is, it has been an amazing experience. It's not as, as stressful to, you know, be on a plane crowded with, with people, um, and, um, yeah, I, I just say meditate, 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 meditate. Mm-hmm. I can't say it enough. It is, it has been a godsend for me. I can relate to that so much because my mind is constantly going in constant and to the fact that I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. And you're right. When your mind is going like that crazy, it, it keeps you up. All, it keeps you up awake all night. I have meditation, I'll swear by the app Headspace. I remember my first time using it, all of a sudden, I can literally hear my thoughts. And I can really realize, oh, shit, my, this is a thought. It's not me meditating. This is one of my thoughts going through my head. And I'm like, and I realize I'm stopping my meditation because of my thought going through my head. And I'm like, okay, now I got to go back to my breathing. And it gets to the point where sometimes I almost stop breathing. And I got to remind myself, you got to breathe before you pass out. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's me. Like I, I have interestingly um, found, so it, one of the things was kind of finding this place that you go to Mm -hmm. and, and this is probably really silly, but my boys, it's the only video game I play with them is uh, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this point where when you 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 kill one of the, the the people that you go to like this like watery plane of like nothingness and there's just you and this person and mm-hmm. and that's where I go. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> like this this watery no nothing nothing there and and it really allows me and like you said you know to be able to disseminate your thoughts and then let them my my husband calls it um he he says um are you going on a walkabout 
or are you going down the rabbit hole? Because <laughs> I'll just, I won't hear anything else around me and I'm mm. going through something in my mind. Um, and, and so I've had to learn to like control those walkabouts. And like you said, you know, come back to your breath, come yeah. back to your breath and remember to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you, are any of your sons like you? I mean, do they take after you in the fact that you, they too have autism? So I was only diagnosed a few years ago, but I have had a conversation with one. So I have three sons, um, two biological and one adopted. And I am pretty sure one of the two of my biological are. Um, and I've had this discussion with him and, and that is his choice and his journey. If he wants to go explore and, and get that mm -hmm. diagnosis and, and, but we've had some really great conversations as a result of my diagnosis, um, um, that I think, and I hope is, is helping him on his journey. Yeah. Now, what is a typical day like for you? Yeah. <laughs> work, work, work. No. Um <laughs> I actually wake up in the morning and and do an hour of yoga. Um and that kind of really kind of helps me um focus my mind on on the day and be prepared and not get overwhelmed or stressed by it. Um and then I go to work and I'm at work all day, come home. Uh, get a few, a couple of hours of, if I'm not still working when I get home. And then um, I typically try to meditate right before bed mm -hmm. so that I can sleep yeah. um, and shut my brain off. That definitely helps. I think scheduling your meditation time before bed. I do that as well. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference in my quality of sleep, you know. Mm -hmm. Um we we you know live in a cannabis legal state. Um and so the only thing that I used to have that worked before were eating gummies to go to sleep. Um before mm -hmm. I really kind of found meditation and yoga and and stuff like that, it was the only thing, but interestingly enough, even those didn't, you know, last all night. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and so, it, you know, I'd still find myself up at two in the morning going, okay, good. All my thoughts are rushing back to my brain. at all the same time. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm not sleeping <laughs> for the rest of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, cannabis does work to help you fall asleep, but it actually disrupts your sleep patterns. So I hear that a lot from people that use it, that they can fall asleep, but then they wake up and they have to either smoke again to go back to sleep or it just kind of wears off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 not a long-term solution, I don't think. Definitely not. I mean, we even at Desert Harvest make a CBD product. And interestingly, a lot of people utilize it for sleep, um, which I find has absolutely and none of my staff or or anybody has had any effect for sleep um and so even though it's it's promoted for that and we're utilizing the cbd isolate and we actually studied it at mcgill university um or actually before that we studied at university of colorado we did a bioavailability study and we were able to show that it's 25% more bioavailable or systemic in the body than any other CBD product out on the market. But I don't know if it's it's different people that respond to CBD in a different way that it does make them sleepy. Um, but I have never actually witnessed that effect. That's funny you mentioned CBD. Um, I use CBD for sleep because meditation alone just doesn't help. I use a product that's a spray, not a gummy, hmm. and it's all natural products along with the CBD. It's got magnesium and cinnamon and all the things that promote sleep Please. along with hmm. melatonin. So it doesn't knock you out, but it kind of lulls you into that fatigue of sleep. Yeah, I did. magnesium can actually make a big difference for me right before bed. We actually, at Desert Harvest, we actually make a magnesium product. Um, and so I actually take that as well right before mm -hmm. bed. 
makes a huge difference for me. So I can understand the magnesium, the melatonin, yeah, all of that. I bet you in combination is a good whammy. <laughs> it is. It's very helpful for me, definitely. And I notice the difference if I, there have been days where I'll just be so tired and I'll forget to take it and I'll be up all night. And then I'll like fall asleep at four in the morning and wake up around like eight in the morning and I'm wondering like why I'm so freaking tired and it'll be and I'll remember I didn't even take the spray the night that night and I'll just have mm -hmm. to like literally as I put it work on fumes for the entire day yeah yeah living off of caffeine and whatever <laughs> I've done that before too anyways do you have any hyper focuses oh gosh mm. A lot of them. <laughs> um, I, I hyper, I have kind of a, you know, one of the things that kind of was for me was being very obsessive compulsive um, disorder was the other thing that they um, mentioned when I got the autism diagnosis and mm -hmm. um going back it, again it's another thing especially later in my adult life that i've been working on um everything has to have be in place everything had to have its place i will literally walk around the house and i cannot relax until everything is in its place um um those are kind of my my big one um is is just organization organization everything has to be organized my email has to be organized so that i can go through it correctly you know my mm -hmm. desk has to be everything has to be organized for me um it's actually one of the things that i'm i'm trying to work on because it it's also a, a you know it's a stressor it's a it's a stress on the body mm -hmm. Um, and I, I'm, I'm trying to not let things get to me like that. Um, um, and then as far as hyper focuses on, uh, it, it, besides organization, um, I hyper focus on, um, all different kinds of things, um, whether it's, it's, for me, it's, you know, pelvic and sexual health right now. Um, uh, I can, I, I, you know, I can tell you anything about medical studies, everything, you know, I will hyper-focus on a topic um, and then um, move on. And then at some point I, I might realize and then, and then move on to a, the next topic and a hyper-focus on that. So it's definitely um, something where I have over the years <laughs> uh, hyper-focused on a lot of things. What about you? Me? Hyper-focus? Oh, I love learning. Uh, Anytime yeah. I find a topic that interests me or if I'm going through Coursera and I'll find a a class that interests me i'll like oh i'll just i'll literally sit there and i'll go through the entire course and just get the certificate to get the certificate or um i mean i can pick up at, i have a friend who's like i have no interest at all i'm like i'm like why don't you learn something he's like it's not that easy i'm like what do you mean it's not that easy how do you think those of us find new interests you find something that interests you and you pursue it that mm -hmm. becomes your new interest that for me is like i can find something that really interests me and then i'll be at it but my problem is with my adhd i lose interest in that after a while and then it's like whenever i have that interest in if i bought stuff in that product with that it, thing it just sits there and collects dust yep <laughs> so that sounds like me 100 percent. i have adhd too so I, I was that I was diagnosed with actually when I was much younger um, and, and same kind of thing. Like I, I love to learn. I love to, I, I guess when I say I hyper-focus, I hyper-focus on a topic, I learn the heck out of it. And then when it's done, I just move on to the next one. And I, I have trouble watching TV 
um, movies. Mm. Um, uh, I especially like my 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 son is obsessed with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> he's tw- 20, 21. Like he knows everything. He he plans he's going to work for Weta um the the digital in new zealand that made the movie someday <laughs> that's his dream but he he can watch that movie every day for his entire life and he knows everything about it he knows which pieces and i i can't watch the same movie twice and sometimes i can't even get through the movie the first time and but if it's a documentary and it's mm-hmm. something that i'm learning about or that i'm engaged with the topic then that's a different situation if- one of the things I've learned is called chasing the dopamine, which yeah. basically means we we get an interest. We, like you said, we study it to death and then all of a sudden we lose interest in it and we just go after the next one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and we keep going. Keep going. That's our dopamine learning. Yeah. And then there are those who have jobs who can't keep jobs because they get bored so fast. They move on to the next job. I think that, that that actually benefits me as a CEO because you're constantly, you have to, you're being hit with so many tasks at once. Mm-hmm. And, and because I have that, you know, organizational, you know, obsessive compulsive where I, I have to structure and organize everything that it definitely um, benefits me because I can structure and organize things, but then at the same time, I can finish this and then go to this and then go to this. I think the the biggest thing is that probably gets me is when a topic doesn't interest me and I have to do it anyways, <laughs> procrastination comes in. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah, I think and that's I to, a pretty common experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you have to force yourself, like, even if you don't want to. That That is something that has come with age because mm-hmm. when I was younger, I will always say I was a horrible employee um, because I, I didn't necessarily, I'd be like, ah, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do that today. I'm going to do this today. <laughs> and and I did. And, 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 you know, sometimes to my detriment. Um, and, but I, I think that as a CEO, it, it supports me um, in, in doing this job much better. Um, um, having those skills um, that are not necessarily neurotypical. Are there specific tools that you use on a day-to-day basis to manage running your company? Yes. um, My biggest thing is, is because I have that eidetic memory, I don't necessarily, my, my two most important things, I I talk about organization. My email is like my task list. Like I, I, I have a, a notes where I keep notes, but in reality, when I am going through looking at my tasks for the day, most of what I'm looking through is my email. So that's why it's very important for me to keep it so structured. Outlook is my friend. Um, and, and, and then one of the newer things that I have found that reduces my stress load is definitely using the notes app in my phone and just kind of, I'll just talk into it. Like it, it takes the thought out of my head and puts it over here so that, because there's so many thoughts running through my head, I found that just getting them out and putting them over here, um, really has helped me. Um, not like, oh, it's over here on the list. So I don't have to stress about it. I don't have to remember it. I don't have to think about it till I refer back to my list. Um, um, that has been very beneficial. Um, those are probably the best, best ways that I organize, um, utilizing Slack, um, with all of my staff. So I don't necessarily have to have as many face-to-face interactions, beautiful thing greatest thing invented um and and uh 
Zoom is another great thing because I definitely, you know, get to have all of these meetings and I don't have to go all over the place and do them face to face and necessarily all of the time. It takes a little bit of um, pressure off in that mm -hmm. sense. So um, I think Zoom has been really great. Those are probably um, the the tools that I utilize most just to structure my days. And then, of course, maintaining my calendar, it feels like a, a sense of structure that's there. Do you have the same issues now as you did growing up? No. Um, I think without realizing it, I was really trying. Yes. And oh, well, I guess yes and no. Um, because I don't think I can ever get rid of, you know, the issues that I have, the, the emotional outbursts, the, the, the social awkwardness, the, the, you know, having trouble with emotions and understanding emotions. I don't think that that's something that'll ever go away. I think it's always something that I'm working on, but I think I manage it much better than I did when I was younger. So even without knowing that I had autism, I have been creating strategies and coping mechanisms um, that have worked for me. I, I really always say that there's two versions of me. There's the 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 ver social version that you know I have to be when I'm in certain situations and I have to work really hard and it's exhausting. And then there's the real me, the the chaos, the uh, you know, the 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 wild child, as my husband sometimes calls me. And 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 so there's there's these two versions of of myself that that I live in the world with. Um, and one is me, and then the other one is the one that that I I work really hard um to to be so that I can fit into the business world and fit into the to what I'm I'm doing. Um and it's really interesting because at, since my diagnosis, one of the things that's been really cathartic for me, but I've also realized helps me kind of buffer situations is to tell people is I tell everybody I'm autistic. I'm autistic. I'm autistic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and it really you know, it really helps people understand, I think, myself better so that maybe I don't have to work as hard and I can be more of myself, um, you know, my more neurodiverse self than, than um, you know, I would otherwise be in certain situations. So it actually makes me feel more comfortable to kind of preface situations or or meetings or things like that. Yeah. Right. Did you feel a sense of relief knowing that all your past actions were due to your being autistic? Yes, it um I have grown up with the sense that there was something wrong with me my whole life. Um, and there was something that needed to be fixed. I think it's it's benefited me because in 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 one sense, because I'm constantly trying to do good in the world, trying to change things for women's health, for pelvic health, for sexual health, to make a difference. I go to remote areas of the world, um, taught one of the first pelvic and sexual health courses in Turkey. I'm getting ready to go to Africa in a couple of weeks to consult and teach in a remote area of Gambia. Like those things, I feel like that's my giving back to, sh it's, it's almost trying to prove to myself that that I am a good person because for so many years I was told that there was something wrong with me, that there was, that, that I was a bad person because of, of who I was, um, that I was, you know, made to feel like I was evil in a sense, like that there was like, I was a bad person, um, because of the way I acted or the, you know, the, the making the wrong choices, you know, things. And, and, I realize now 
with the diagnosis, it's, it's like a weight lifted off to me. It's there's nothing wrong with me. I, I I'm just me and I'm neurodiverse. There's nothing wrong with me. And, 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 and now I can just shout it and I can feel confident in that, which I think for 41 years, I never felt confident in, in that there was that I, there wasn't something wrong with me. No. Now, why don't you tell me a little bit about Desert Harvest and what's it like to be the CEO? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so Desert Harvest, um, we started 30 years ago specifically for a bladder disorder called interstitial cystitis. We have, um, that's like having a constant UTI that never goes away, um, a debilitating UTI. Um, about eight to 12 million men and women, um, more predominantly women than men, um, have this in the United States alone. Um, so it's a very underrepresented condition. Um, and we, I had an aunt who had the disorder. So many years ago, we were looking for options for her. Um, and that's how we developed. We have a patented formula of aloe vera that we still use today that is actually currently undergoing FDA trials. And then throughout the years, um, we, because we worked in urology and predominantly with women, we started to develop other pelvic and sexual health um, products from sexual lubricants um, that are um, meant specifically in, to mimic biomes um, to an entire supplement line um, that we have. And we do a lot of clinical research all over the world um, specifically for pelvic and, and sexual health conditions. Um, and, and we continue to do that, whether it's education, advocacy, um, all different kinds of projects. Um, and so Desert Harvest, I um, even wrote, um, contributed and wrote a book um, called The Musculoskeletal Mystery um, with a, a pelvic PT at Duke University. Um, and, and so I think that Desert Harvest has really become this, um, this, you know, wellness organization mm -hmm. that, that I love to be the head of and to be a part of. Um, and, and, and cause I get to watch people's lives change. Um, and, and, and so I think that that's what continues to drive my passion. This one hasn't waned, so I'm still going strong. Um, on, on this. And I, I think I've found definitely a, a, a niche for me that, that drives my passion, um, and which allows me, um, to be a good CEO. Um, or at least that's what my staff tells me, <laughs> um, <laughs> is, is, you know, a lot of the staff that's here is because that they've told me that my passion for this is infectious. Um, and, and, and they, they want to be a part of that and be a part of, of changing people's lives. And, and so at Desert Harvest, we get to do that. And as a CEO, I get to kind of guide that. And, and it, it gives me a, a sense of purpose and, and it gives me a structure, which I love. And, and, uh, yeah. Uh, that so that's desert harvest in a nutshell is shameless plug desertharvest.com no <laughs> <laughs> and finally where can people find out more about you and desert harvest oh yes yeah so um they can definitely visit our website which is desertharvest.com um or we have great customer service staff that can answer questions about any of our products um at 800 222 3901, or they can follow us on social at Desert Harvest Oliveira. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Reed Miles, joined with Michelle Markham, and that was Heather Floral. See you in the next one, everyone. See you there.